0: are real geniuses richard jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you he hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field sleep science cancer stem cells ketogenic diets and more here come the geniuses this is the finding genius podcast with richard jacobs this is richard
1: jacobs with the finding genius podcast this is the health bioscience and medicine edition It's my job here to seek out the geniuses, the top of their fields. I've spoken to over 2,000 scientists, clinicians, researchers, and experts. Today, I have Dr. Alex Richardson. Uh, She's the founder of FAB Research. Uh, She's also a research associate in the Department of Physiology, Anatomy, and Genetics at the University of Oxford. In general, we're going to be talking about how what you eat affects how you feel, mood, and obviously a whole host of other factors. So, Dr. Alex, or I'll just call you Alex, thanks for coming.
2: Uh, very welcome, thank you for inviting me
1: yeah why, do you, um, why have you bothered to look at how food affects people 's you know, mental condition and feelings you know it 's an interesting angle, but uh, why did you choose it?
2: Well, it arose naturally from the original research that I started, which was to do with Conditions like ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, dyslexia, the autistic spectrum. My background had been in teaching, and that's where I came across the prevalence of conditions like those I've just mentioned, which now affect one in five of all children in mainstream schools, stop them achieving their potential, And perhaps naively, uh, I wanted to go into research to see whether I could contribute anything that would help in the identification and management of those conditions. To begin with, my research wasn't about nutrition. It was about the biological basis, because it was, in fact, at the physiology uh, department in Oxford, as it was then. As you've said, it's physiology, anatomy and genetics now. But that's where I started my PhD with a man called Professor John Stein. And he had a novel um, line of research looking into visual contributions to things like dyslexia in particular. But therefore, it was neuroscience. It was vision and visual attention and really brain function, but also brain development, because these are developmental conditions. But it was from the links with vision that as a young postdoc... I came across the links between omega-3 fatty acids and vision, because in a nutshell, you cannot build a visual system in the first place or keep it functioning properly without these omega-3 fatty acids and the long chain omega-3 in particular that are found in fish and seafood. So from that point on, as I found out, oh my goodness, why are people not looking more at how nutrition is absolutely fundamental to building a brain in the first place, as well as the rest of your body, and also to maintaining, fueling, repairing, and keeping functioning um, our brains as well as our bodies?
1: Well, you'd probably not be surprised. You'd be sadly uh, shaking your head that you know, I've spoken to many, many people, and a lot of them amazingly don't seem to think or maybe excuse that, you know, oh, they just had one day of nutrition, in medical school, or they'll say, oh, we can't control for diet, or we don't think diet has a uh, very much effect on, on, you know, human health and outcomes. And I thought about it. And I thought, you know, if you live to be, let's say 80, the only thing that keeps you alive is food, water and air. But yet, oh, no, no, that has no effect on your health. That's well, the only thing, literally, you know. I, it, so I just maybe laugh, but well so I saying it's obvious but I just it's just funny people don't pay attention.
2: It's extraordinary isn't it? And as you say it is obvious it's almost so obvious that we all take it for granted. And particularly of course living as you and I do in developed countries where we we don't tend to think of malnutrition as something which in fact affects the vast majority of people in both developed and developing countries and the WHO is onto this and has been for a while. Basically, nutrition from the very earliest, from preconception, nutrition is critical. Now, this starts to get a little scary, actually, but certainly throughout pregnancy and early life, we have some critical periods where if we don't get nutrition right, then ah, we have now compromised. We've prevented that individual from achieving the potential that they could have done if they'd had optimal nutrition from the earliest but what my own research and that of many others has shown is that it's never too late no matter because you can't change of course what went on before you were born and we don't want more mothers feeling guiltier than they already do because mothers always tend to feel it must be their fault (laughs) if there's anything so what we've got to do is get this absolutely front and central we all have to eat and of course it affects our brains as well as our bodies, but it does so in some incredibly powerful ways that research has been uncovering. And I would say there is enough evidence already that there are a host of things we could, and to my mind should, be putting into practice now. But of course, there's an awful lot more that we're yet to find out, but we need to because we've been so fundamentally changing human diets. This is also the one that we don't tend to think about, but in our modern convenience age, where, oh my goodness, in a matter of really just recent decades, but certainly you can pin it to industrialisation, to industrialise the food supply, to turn food into a commodity, and one which things that matter now are shelf life and convenience and profit, food and nutrition are too important for us to be just taking it all for granted and assuming that all is fine. It is not.
1: Well, well, give me some, let's talk about some specifics. I want to hear about in your research, what specifically like surprised even you after <laughs> all your research? And then I want to give some uh, actionable things that people can do for themselves or for their children.
2: Sure. Well, one of the things that first shocked and surprised me, I'd already found, as I said, this link between, which many others, and it had been there in the literature for a long time, that without the long-chain omega-3 fats that are found predominantly in fish and seafood, and not many other places, but without these, you can't build a brain and nervous system in the first place. Now, we don't tend to think of fats as essential. In fact, we've had decades now of fat being demonised, treated as a single substance, and most people The messages we still get, oh, low fat must be healthy and fat makes you fat. These are absolute myths. We have got to start raising awareness at the level of the general public, let alone the professionals who try to serve them across health, education, social services, criminal justice, because the omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids are actually essential nutrients. We absolutely need them for life. We particularly need them for the brain and nervous system, but all the rest of our vital organs and every cell in your body needs these. They are, in fact, the polyunsaturated fats, which some people have heard of, and you might find polyunsaturates on some of your food labels, on your processed foods, but nobody tells you that, ah, these ones. The omega-3 and the omega-6 are the two main classes of polyunsaturate. You need them both, but you need them in the right balance. Now, as I say, for the brain and nervous system, the, one, the series that's most lacking from modern Western-type diets are the omega-3. And in fact, we're almost awash now with omega-6 fats because of the changes that have taken place in diets thanks to industrialization. The cracking of seed oils, so that all of the common vegetable oils that you tend to find in certainly most processed foods, sauces, soups, salad, dressings. But just in general, we were all told, of course, that margarine was going to be healthier for us than butter. Mm. Now, of course, the hydrogenated fats. turning liquid vegetable oils into something solid enough to mimic the texture and consistency of butter. Those, in fact, are. They're absolutely toxic. But that means, again, for decades, people were imbibing, and many still are, things called trans fats, twisted versions, actually, of the omega-3 and 6. Again, not good news. Denmark was the first country to ban these in 2006. And again, in most developed countries now, there are certainly restrictions on, quite tight restrictions.
1: But yeah, a that... quick, quick question here. Um, what would you notice in someone that's chronically depleted of omega-3 and or omega-6? Uh-huh.
2: I'm going to give you the personal insight that I had here, and it wasn't funny, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Just as I was coming to the tail end of my PhD, with everything still to write up and experiments still to go, I actually came down with the worst case that the doctors had ever seen, actually, of repetitive strain injuries. Too much time at a keyboard or hunched over a telephone or whatever. And there was nothing that the medical profession could offer apart from non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Now, mine was such a severe case, and it was also... Both wrists, quite frankly, wrists, hands, swollen, acute pain, which then became chronic pain. And really, for the best part of two years, I simply had to battle on. I also wore the calipers that stop you bending your wrist, that you would normally see only in people with severe arthritis, for example. But nobody seemed to be able to offer really anything useful. And the non steroidal anti inflammatories are no fun at all. And Of course, you try just about every alternative or complementary, but ah, it was only because my research took this turn anyway. I came across omega-3, as I've said to you, because of the link with vision. And as I was reading up and about to start my first, and in fact the first, randomised double-blind placebo-controlled trial to see if fish oils could help to reduce ADHD-type symptoms in children, inattention, hyperactivity, impulsivity. As I was reading up on omega-3 and doing what I always have done in research, which is I'm not going to ask any of my participants to do something I've not already done. So, of course, I was going to start taking myself these supplements, which... But as I was reading up, I simply couldn't believe what I started to uncover. The long-chain omega-3, and they're called EPA and DHA those long-chain omega-3 are the most powerful natural anti-inflammatories because of substances we make from them. So if they're not in your diet, ah, you're going to be very prone to just about any disorder that involves inflammation. And I'm thinking, why haven't my doctor, well, as you said earlier, doctors are not taught about nutrition. And that's because of the rather simple matter of patent profit and pharmaceuticals seem to offer, and of course they do for many conditions, a simple, here's a pill. But yes, it was extraordinary. As I discovered this, I thought, crikey, I put myself on a higher dose, in fact, than we were using in that study, as I read up quickly on this, and within two weeks, I was able to throw away those anti-inflammatory drugs. Now, even before that point, I'd seen an absolute expert in repetitive strain injuries. He had simply told me, and he was an expert in the condition, that, well, and these were literally his words, he said, look, you've just got to accept that you're completely crippled and you're not going to be using either of your hands properly ever again. (laughs) I know. Well, it wasn't very funny at the time, I can tell you. It's yes,
1: just slap them later on. Just
2: extraordinary. So, as I say, really these omega-3 and six fatty acids. They are essential. They're as essential as vitamins and minerals. So why haven't we heard of them? Why aren't we talking about this and teaching children in the classroom, you know, making sure the general public, let alone professionals, really do know that it matters hugely if your diet has just the imbalance that the modern Western diet has. We're all awash with omega-6 fats, and let me say, they are pro-inflammatory. They also are pro-thrombotic. They help your blood to clot. Now, obviously, that's an important function. You want your blood to clot. You also want to be able to mount an inflammatory response. But the long-chain omega-6, and this one's called arachidonic acid, that's the key long-chain omega-6, which is also crucial for body and brain health. But that one, ah, too much of it, and not enough omega-3, promotes inflammation, promotes blood clots, now, given what we know about the physical health disorders, the so-called non-communicable diseases like heart disease and diabetes, etc., cetera, um, the role of nutrition in these conditions, I found myself thinking, this is just extraordinary that this information isn't out there. So not only did I sort out my own whew, Crippled them and reversed it within two weeks by putting myself in a very high dose, I will say, two grams a day of an EPA-rich omega-3 supplement, but transformative. And there have been many, many other people, as well as many, many studies since then, that have absolutely backed up that what we've got here, if we choose to use it, is an awful lot of information that could help people to oh it would dramatically reduce the amount of suffering physical and mental, that goes on. But to come back to the conditions to do with the brain, the other thing that became evident to me, I jumped into research in the late 80s, for goodness sake. Now, conditions like dyslexia, ADHD, they were already a big enough problem then. But things like the autistic spectrum disorder, we have seen dramatic increases in really all of these childhood, what they call neurodevelopmental conditions, But to this day, nutrition and diet are just not on the map when it comes to either the identification through things like biomarkers or the management of these conditions. Although parents and carers, they absolutely know, as you said earlier about your teenage daughter, for goodness sake, that yeah, food and diet does indeed appear to make a difference. So we still need an awful lot more research that will help the people with these conditions to get the support they need.
1: Well, tell me what you noticed physically when you took the omega-3 and then tell me what you've seen either clinically or in research studies. Uh, What does, for instance, proper supplementation with omega-3 and 6 do to people? What do they experience?
2: Oh, well, there's a very, very long list there, because it has to be said that if somebody did just go onto something like PubMed, you know, the database, and have a quick trawl, there are few conditions that adding more omega-3 to the diet um, has not been linked with, although we do still need far more of the randomised, double-blind, placebo-controlled trials, and as you will know, You need a lot of those in order to really get an established evidence base that will get this into practice in actual medicine and psychiatry. But in terms of what you might notice, in my case, the pain and the inflammation, which had been, well, quite frankly, an ongoing nightmare and therefore improvements in sleep, trying to find a position where you're not going to be woken up with acute pain uh, and so on. That for me was, I would say, the main one. Uh, my vision was good. I hadn't had any problems with my attention. But the kind of things that people do seem to respond well to omega-3, the kind of things that anyone could have a think about is, firstly, attention and ability to focus. That's something that, as I say, the very first randomised control trial in that area was my own, and it was published more than 20 years ago now, um, Was showing that, yes, if you give fish oils, basically, which do contain these long chain omega three EPA and DHA, that we were able to reduce impulsivity, inattention and to some extent hyperactivity as well in children who had simply above average levels of these sorts of problems. We then moved on. And I think still to this day, my most famous study, the Oxford Durham study, uh, teamed up with an educational psychologist in Durham. And we recruited there from a number of schools in the area um, for a much larger randomized controlled trial. Children who had no label before we went into those schools and made sure that they met criteria for developmental coordination disorder, sometimes known as dyspraxia. Um, the non-PC and much older term for this might have been things like clumsy child syndrome. But anyway, difficulties with coordination, but it, it's more than that. Difficulties with organising, planning and carrying out any complex sequenced actions. So children or adults who have trouble with things like tying shoelaces um, for children, doing up buttons and handwriting, for goodness sake. Big overlap with dyslexia here. You can usually tell when you look at the handwriting. Aha, this one. And a few quick questions about, you know, sport and if that was their least favourite subject at school or please don't choose me for the netball team. Then, as I say, dyspraxia. What we found was a big overlap as we put the diagnostic labels on these children who were simply underperforming. They were two years behind on average in their reading. Many of them, according to parent and teacher questionnaires, certainly met the first step towards an ADHD, can't concentrate, inattentive type diagnosis. But what we found was that in just three months, we were able to improve their reading by nine months. That's three times the rate of progress in the placebo control group. We doubled their rate of progress in spelling. And to this day, no intervention study done in a controlled trial way has ever shown improvements in spelling which again big issue when you are in the education system and also in the world of work we also found improvements in their adhd type symptoms and perhaps the surprise but not really we weren't able to show improvements in their motor coordination per se but that was because in that domain only we had the placebo effect from hell now this may have been
1: question 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 here how did they get um, the omega 3 and 6? Because, you know, in my experience, it, it seems like a strange correlation, and, you know, this is just my observation. But obviously, kids don't seem to like fish nearly as <laughs> much as they could or should. Did they huh. eat fish or did they just had supplements? And will well, supplements work to help people or do they need to be?
2: Very yeah, good question, help? Richard, and very important. Background diet, you see, this is it, is important. We certainly were screening out and always have done from our studies anyone who might eat fish at least once or twice a week. It's varied a little between studies. Quite frankly, we almost never have to exclude a child for that reason, or an adult, because as we showed in a much later study, and this one involved mainstream school children around Oxfordshire, um, and it was a representative of the general population sample, we actually took finger stick blood samples from more than 500 British children typical of the general population, age between seven and nine. And the findings were utterly, I'm still shocked by them, because what we found, your blood omega-3, the long chain ones that matter, there's a simple measure called the omega-3 index, which simply says, what proportion of your blood fats are EPA and DHA? Now, for a healthy heart and cardiovascular system, Now, all the data here, of course, come from adults, but the ideal is actually 8% or more. If you ate one of those traditional Mediterranean diets, particularly pre-industrialisation, then what you would have is a blood omega-3 index, EPA and DHA, of more than 8%. 4 to 8%, that's kind of your middle range. But anything less than 4%, you are at a very high risk of heart attack, stroke, etc., Now, that's, as I say, well-known and established in adults. What did we find in the British children? Oh, no. From mainstream schools, supposedly healthy children, their average omega-3 index was 2.5%. Absolutely way below. Exactly. Now, even with such a restricted range, you haven't got much variance if everyone's at the bottom of the bucket, but even with that restricted range, what we found was, very clearly and significantly, that the higher your omega-3, the better was your reading, the better was your attention, according to ADHD symptom ratings, and also the better was your working memory. And one that I'd noticed, well, anecdotally in myself, but pain is enough to stop you sleeping, from my very earliest trials, an anecdotal report had always been that sleep would improve. Now this was the first study it took until we published this in 2013 for me to be able to include a standardised sleep measure, you know, normed on British children. But sure enough, the higher your omega-3, the fewer sleep problems you had. So that was the observational study. We went on to do a randomised double-blind placebo-controlled trial. Now that controlled treatment trial involved only the children who were poor readers because we wanted them to have room to improve on a measure that we'd already shown in the previous Oxford-Durham study, could help children with dyspraxia or developmental coordination disorder. These children in this bigger study, they had no diagnoses you know, of anything. They were simply, they had room to improve. But yes, what we found there, it was only in the poorest readers, the bottom uh, 20% of readers, that we found a significant improvement in their reading But we did also find this is the finding that I really think needs urgently pursuing across a range of conditions. We did indeed find that in the children who had sleep problems that were at a clinical level. And would you believe that was half of these mainstream school children, according to the pet request in those children giving omega three improved their sleep. Now I think all when, of us.
1: How, again, how did you how did you give it to them? Did you slap them in the face with a fish, or <laughs> did you give them a <laughs> of
2: Well, indeed, we had indeed found as well, of course, that why were their blood levels so low? Nine out of ten British children aged seven to nine were not meeting the dietary guidelines to eat two portions of fish a week, one of which should be oily. Uh, they just weren't doing that. We were giving, of course, if it's a randomised, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial, then we were using supplements and a matching placebo. Um, So the supplementation, there's no question that, of course, it's best, if you can, to get all your nutrients from that healthy, well-balanced diet. But in reality, that can be very difficult to do. And particularly for those who don't like or won't eat, Fish and seafood, which really is the main dietary source of these long chain omega 3 called EPA and DHA. Now, I probably need to say at this point, it really doesn't help that the the terminology here. There are some omega 3 that you can get from some plant and seed oils, (sighs) but the plant based omega 3 are absolutely not equivalent to the long-chain ones that you get from fish and seafood, also from some organ meats, but I think we know those aren't terribly popular in modern Western-type diets. Traditional societies all knew, actually, that the most valuable parts of the animal tend to be the organ meats. Because like us, guess where animals put? Because they need to. These long-chain omega-3 and 6, well, it's in their brains and their hearts and their other vital organs. Because these fats are so critical for the normal functioning of all of our vital organs, but particularly for the brain and nervous system. So here's where we come to so many of the issues, child behaviour and learning difficulties. As I say, when I first began in this research, they were common enough. And it's more than 10 years since here in the UK, one in five, these are government figures of children, can't actually access the curriculum in mainstream schools because of their Special educational needs, conditions like dyslexia, autistic spectrum disorders, attention deficit hyperactivity, etc. But then, as we look at the research, which I became aware of the moment I got onto omega 3, but when it comes to mental health and depression in particular, oh my goodness, since the late 90s, that was the first correlational study planted in the Lancet that showed that across countries, a very strong correlation between the intake of fish and seafood and the national rates of depression. Now, obviously, that's just an association, but oh my goodness, this has held up over time and we have not just evidence of association abundant. And also from blood data, if you measure the blood omega-3 of patients with depression versus matched controls, what you find is low levels of these long-chain omega-3. And then moving on to the randomised double-blind placebo-controlled trials, really, for depression, I, I would say the evidence is there. These things are <clears throat> totally safe. The upper safe level, if you take them as supplements kind of thing, is five grams a day of EPA, DHA. But a lot less than that, between one and two grams a day in controlled trials, absolutely does show as far as several meta-analyses where you pool the results of controlled trials, what these now show is that one of the long-chain omega-3 and its EPA, icosapentronylic acid, this is essentially quite a powerful antidepressant. Now, I will add here, of course, that most of the studies of patients with clinical-level depression have indeed already been taking antidepressant medications, there's been very few studies that have involved patients who are not taking medication. So this is on top of, in other words, adjunctive to standard treatment. But when you're seeing the kind of results that we are getting, I mean, and the effect size in the latest meta-analyses, including the latest Cochrane review, if you focus on EPA-rich supplements, not just ordinary fish oils, which could be a mix of DHA rich, EPA rich. If you focus on EPA, oh my goodness, the effect size there is about 0.6. And for comparison, the effect size of antidepressants themselves is about 0.3. But very importantly, there appears to be, this needs further research, of course, but there even appears to be a synergy between the two. So that in one of the early studies in 2008 that actually looked at They used fluoxetine, better known as Prozac, uh, for one group, uh, EPA for another, and the third group got both. There was no complete placebo untreated group because, of course, clinical depression is something where that would be unethical. But what they found was the EPA alone was as effective as Prozac alone, but they got the best result from the combination. Now, again, we need more studies and I particularly want to encourage, you know, the pharmaceutical industry to help us to fund these because, of course, the patent profit issue means that the manufacturers of omega-3 supplements and fine, some of them, you bet, have indeed helped to get some research done, but they don't have the budgets to do the kind of studies that we would need to do to get this research further advanced.
1: You know, there's actually no proof that food is, is necessary for you because there's been no double-blind placebo-controlled study that shows that food is good yeah. for people
2: <laughs> now there so was we a beautiful you
1: know
2: exactly richard there was a beautiful example here actually when the european food standards agency that's right was coming up with its criteria and the example that i believe with some legal advice was put forward was to do with water quenching thirst uh-uh Can't make that claim because nobody's ever done the randomised double-blind placebo-controlled trial. So you're absolutely right. Really? Yeah, that's it. No, that was put forward really just as an example of, come on now. We have got to be able to have a more flexible regulatory system that must not demand randomised double-blind placebo-controlled trials for certain sorts of things. But as I say, what we've got here is something that is so important and for which... There's enough existing evidence that I feel we could already be doing a better job than we are of raising awareness amongst the public, training our professionals better. But there's no question, we do need more research. And I want to urge, I certainly know that the next study that uh, I'm gearing up to do, if we can secure the funding, is to follow on from our findings with regard to sleep. Because every single mental health condition, and certainly all of these childhood developmental conditions, oh my goodness, sleep is disturbed. And and it kind of works both ways because, again, sleep disturbances, they're certainly amongst the symptoms of something like clinical depression. But as I say, almost across the board, this is a problem with our modern day societies. We're all tending to be sleep deprived and as a result, perhaps more irritable and brain fogged and so on. But what we found in our control trial, we had questionnaire measures on more than 250 of these children who had clinical level by questionnaire sleep problems before the study began. But what we also did in a subset of those children, we actually measured their sleep objectively with oh, a little wrist band that basically measures movement it won't give you sophisticated measures of sleep stages and so on, but it will tell you whether the child is awake or asleep and how many times they woke in the night and for how long. What we found was uh, that the improvement in sleep from a fairly modest dose of long chain omega 3, it was about an hour more sleep. Now, that is <laughs> so potentially meaning, exactly. And I'd long suspected, really, just from the feedback you get when you do this for a living. and You do not only research trials in different areas, uh, but also you know speak to a lot of people, work with a lot of the support groups in these areas. The anecdotes about sleep have been coming through, as I say, for more than 20 years. Uh, and so I really feel this is the area we need to look at. Since we published really the first result on this in 2014, there has indeed been a study of depression where they bothered to measure sleep as well. And they too found that supplementation with long chain omega three and particularly EPA did indeed improve depressive symptoms and sleep and also emotional regulation in in other ways. We know that low frustration tolerance can be behind quite a lot of the challenging behaviour shown by children with ADHD, autistic spectrum disorders and plenty of us in the general public, short fuse syndrome and things like road rage, etc. Just people unable really to inhibit negative emotions and regulate their own emotions. This seems to be where EPA in particular, of these long-chain omega-3, does seem to be showing benefits. But we need more research into this. It's just that the, the implications of it are huge. The need for controlled trials, I will say this is really what I've spent most of my time trying, trying to achieve, is more controlled trials in these areas, but they're difficult to do. They obviously are relatively expensive. And so I think there really needs to be a higher priority on looking at some essentially quite simple dietary interventions, because the scale of the problems we're facing with mental health disorders in general and I'm using that term very broadly here, but back in 2010, um, a huge study, very comprehensive across Europe, (laughs) showed that in that, well, in the previous year, 38% of the entire European population had a fully diagnosable, oh my goodness, mental or neurological disorder. Now, that's a bit stunning. It also makes you think, surely there must be a bit of diagnostic inflation going on here. But quite frankly... It wasn't that that many had actually been diagnosed, but using really, really the best data available, it began to make sense the moment you looked at the breakdown of what these conditions are, because pretty much tying for first place were depression, anxiety and insomnia. Now, these are almost conditions of this modern stressed out day and age. And we're all too quick, you see, to focus upon, oh, yes, it must be social media. It must be blue light from your smartphone that's keeping you awake at night. It must be poverty, inequality, etc. Now, all of these things are, of course, pretty strong candidates for contributing. But they're not ones that are quite as simple to intervene and change as nutrition, which almost never gets a look in or is... Again, as you said at the very beginning, Richard, you're absolutely right. Why it's so obvious, why do we therefore ignore it? And when it comes to all of the factors linked with ADHD and certainly antisocial behaviour, there have also been in the broader domain, these are studies carried out by colleagues of mine rather than myself, but studies showing that if you simply give a multivitamin and mineral supplement together with a fatty acid supplement, you can dramatically reduce... Antisocial behaviour, and we're talking. These are prison studies. The first of them, published in two thousand and two, that was very, very rigorous. There had been earlier trials in this area, but none had been as rigorous and as carefully controlled as the study carried out by my colleague Bernard Gesh. And what he found was a twenty-six percent reduction in disciplinary offences, and it was almost forty percent if you focused on violent offences within the high-security prison for young offenders. Now, in the Netherlands, a chap called Zalberg for the Netherlands Ministry of Justice, he saw those results, did similar studies in the Netherlands, found a similar pattern of results, and they started putting it into practice. Because, again, when you look at the institutional diets, it is the case that in the British study, for sure, which I know all the details of, um, it's not as though the prison food itself wasn't meeting... The basic vitamin, mineral and so on. The thing is, uh, the prisoners were choosing not to eat that and simply ordering in their own, oh crikey, what you might call junk food. But I, I think that term, of course, is a little bit tabloid media. But they were indeed just eating what they chose to eat. And the taxpayer funded basic diet that might have met their nutrient requirements, a lot of that was ending up in the bin. So, have the same issue so where's school.
1: where's uh, where's the resistance then is the resistance in, mm-hmm. you know, the medical community to saying that omega three should have a front and center role in people's health or is the resistance in what people eat or I mean, it sounds like perhaps multiple spots.
2: I think you're absolutely right, Richard, that it's multiple spots, because let's just think about this. Uh, The general public, all of us, we have our favourite foods and habits and whatever. So if you were to try to say to people that, ah, you're not allowed now to have your chocolate bar or even your sugary cereal bar with, you know, your sugary soft drink. And you must instead be eating perhaps, you know, a fish supper. Really, what it is, consumers, we've all been lured into. There is such a thing as food addiction. So many people these days really are caught up in dietary habits that the food industry has known all too well how to produce foods that are highly, highly palatable. And to be honest, the combination of fat and sugar that's actually one of the things that very few natural foods are high in both fat and sugar. Almost none, to be honest. But Put those two together, and you have got foods that are undeniably Moorish. So, yeah, consumers are part of the resistance. And fish and seafood, for goodness sake, it was, (laughs) looking back, it was my own fault with regard to. The crippling condition that I'd been told I just had to accept for life because almost the moment I left home and went off and started eating the dreadful diet that most students do, we had no cooking facilities, you know, you were eating takeaway or rubbish. But also, it wasn't, I just, I wasn't terribly fond of fish and seafood and therefore would always just choose something else. So, really, for the best part of 10 years, I'd been depriving myself of, oh my goodness these key nutrients, and it was out of ignorance. Likewise, the doctors that I went to see, fine, they knew to hand out non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, but nobody had taught them, or of course, medics don't usually, your general practitioner doesn't normally have the time in a 10-minute appointment if you're lucky, to all the expertise or the training to even inquire about diet, let alone advise on it. But omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA, And more derivatives keep on being discovered. Let me tell you that uh, resolving inflammation, bringing it to an end, that is an active process. And about ten years after my revelatory and transformative, as my own research went into omega three, anyway, what were discovered were some substances nobody had even known about. They're called resolvins, and there's the E series made from EPA, and the D series made from DHA. But these derivatives of long chain omega 3 absolutely required to bring inflammation to an end when it's done its job. Now I think okay, you'll find quick, as well
1: uh, quick question before we get a little bit mm. more into resolvins. Mm. If a food manufacturer wanted to and they wanted to include omega 3 and perhaps some I guess omega 6 is everywhere anyway, if they wanted to deliberately include omega 3 in various foods that people do like to eat, is mm-hmm. it possible can they be cooked, you know, could even fast food, for instance, added in successfully where the food would still be tasty and the omega-3 would have an effect.
2: Excellent questions, Richard. Thank you for asking that, because I've certainly got jotted on things which one wanted to make sure one comes to. Yes, what it is, is that functional food, well, all food should be functional. It is now, and it's been improving over the years, uh, the ability to micro-encapsulate these very special fatty acids. Let me say, one of the reasons they're quite rare in our modern, highly processed food supply is they are very fragile. Light, heat and air will destroy them very quickly. Um, In common language, they will go rancid. Fish, for goodness sake, if it is totally fresh, freshly caught, it does not smell fishy. But really... Give it about an hour in a warm room and it will start to. So the protecting of these things is certainly something where leaps and bounds have been made in the ability to microencapsulate. So you can now get some of the best um, foods and supplements will indeed be in forms that are extraordinarily palatable. You can put them into, you know, fruity tasting drinks and you wouldn't even know that there are microencapsulated and at good doses um, Omega 3 fatty acids in there. The food industry has indeed, again, we know they're a large part of the problem, but they are also, no question, need to be part of the solution. And the good companies and the pioneering companies are absolutely looking for ways to add some of these ingredients, and particularly if they can make a health claim or benefit, or if this is something that consumers will actually understand. So again, on on many fronts, I think we've still got a lot of work to do in raising awareness, because again, why would the food or supplement company do the research, spend the money and add these ingredients, which are likely to be extra expense to the foods consumers love eating, if consumers aren't even aware of why they need them? So I think we've got to work on on
1: many fronts. I would think that it would seem to be logical that based on a study you've done where omega-3 has reduced, let's say, violent effects in prisoners or in children, it's improved their reading, et cetera. Why wouldn't a food company take that study, uh, work with you and say, all right, our new cornflakes now have omega-3 because this study shows this in children. So now it actually does have the potential to contribute to, let's say, a, a healthy breakfast in children. Why not partner that way and really differentiate their stuff and sure, maybe charge more for it because of the extra expense, but help people. Why not?
2: Well, we have a bit of an issue here with the regulatory, you see, and I must say I and the other scientists in this area who know about long-chain omega-3, EPA and DHA, the label omega-3, as the media exploitation of my work, and there was a lot of that went on, actually, at the time that I was publishing some of my early studies, and this was groundbreaking, all child behaviour and learning can be improved by omega-3. So what you would find then? is that unscrupulous companies were putting half a grain of flax oil or something into their, let's say, loaf of bread and plastering the label omega-3. Now, not all omega-3 are the same. The short-chain omega-3, beloved, of course, of vegetarians and vegans, are bit of an issue there, but there is a solution um, to that one for the long-chain. It's called algae. That's where the fish get them from. But the plant oils, I'm sorry, they don't do the same thing. And the scientists lobbied very hard indeed when the European Food Standards Agency was getting round to coming up with a dietary reference intake, recommended daily allowance, if you like, for omega-3, that they really must take account of the science which already said, since 2009, we have absolutely known, and there is an academic total consensus here, that the short-chain plant-derived omega-3 do not do the same things as the long chain. And although we have got a pathway for converting one into the other, it's inadequate, quite frankly, certainly in humans eating a modern Western diet. But it is this sort of thing that um, really needs tightening up. And I'm afraid the European Food Standards Agency went and allowed two grams of short chain, something called alpha-linolenic acid, to be treated as equivalent to... 250 milligrams of EPA, DHA. They're not scientifically and biologically equivalent. But this has allowed you to... Oh, my goodness, it is. Yes, it's the politics and economics, quite frankly, that's right, of food, nutrition, but also when it comes to drugs. You quite rightly said, you know, well, why aren't companies who've funded... Most of my studies have been funded by charities, quite frankly, and fab research, food and behaviour research, is, as we speak... Regrouping in order to try to raise the funding to do the study I want to do of omega 3 for sleep in relation to autistic symptoms and ADHD symptoms. But when a company funds a study, ah, we're on the omega 3, you see, there's a lot of different supplements and a lot of different studies, but you really can't claim the ones unless they used your product in that dose. So there is a big difference again between foods, nutrients and pharmaceuticals, because the pharmaceutical industry that, of course, can get the patent protection, can afford to do the kinds of studies that the food supplement companies are expected to do without that. And none of the individual companies is going to be allowed to take credit for something using a different supplement produced by a different company or a different functional food. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no, it makes sense. I wish I could talk to you for three hours, but that would be great. We're, we're at the end of our time, unfortunately. So oh. I just want the last thing for listeners to look forward. What um, study or studies are you working on actively? And then, you know, how can listeners find out more about your work and see okay. the results of what you're doing?
2: Thank you. Well, visit the website of our charity, Fab Research, Food and Behaviour Research, but the website is fabresearch.org. I hope that can be made available on the actual website of uh, Future Tech uh, Podcast yep. as well. we'll do
1: but that, the sure. studies,
2: I've got two studies which I've got protocols for. We really want to get going with these. One of them, as I say, is with to do with children and child behaviour and learning. Simply looking to see whether omega-3 can improve sleep And how that relates to both ADHD type and autistic type symptoms. I think there is a huge unmet need there. The other one is geared more towards stress, anxiety, depression and sleep, because I really do feel with the pioneering finding that we published in 2014, we've got to do more to see whether, in fact, sleep is, if you like, the gateway to the other improvements But omega-3 across domains and conditions, as long as it's long-chain omega-3, E-B-A-D-H-A, does seem to show remarkable promise for a range of conditions involving disturbances of mood, behaviour and ability to learn. And my goodness, we've got problems in those areas. But thank you very much for your interest and feel free to book if there's any of the areas we've touched on. We didn't touch on uh, cognitive decline and dementia, so that could perhaps be another one in the future.
1: Excellent, excellent.